It's been a long time. Um, this morning I was speaking on uh, a really exciting subject, the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. I'm going to move this slightly, Richard, sorry. It's not in the perfect position. It needs to be just there. Um, I'm speaking on Holy Spirit, our guarantee. Uh, but I want to start in a slightly, a slightly different place. I want to start with a couple of promises that Jesus makes to us in Scripture. And I'm going to, I'm going to be paraphrasing what Jesus says, which is always a, a slightly risky, slightly dangerous thing to do. But um, don't take my word for it. You go away, read the Gospels, and, and see what he says for yourself. But promise number one is, Jesus says, I promise you full life. I promise you full life, i.e., I promise you a life free from sin, free from fear. I promise you a full life with God in his kingdom right now. That's on offer, offer to us. Amen? Amen? Yeah? Promise number two, you are going to have hardships in this life. Yeah? Yeah? We know that, right? So these two promises... And you can point to quite a number of different scriptures. These two promises, we know them to be realities. If we, if we know Jesus, we know these two things to be realities. We have to somehow walk with these two realities in our lives. And it's really important that we start here as we think about the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. Why? Because we first of all have to ask ourselves the question, what is God guaranteeing and why do we need it? And I'm not going to spend too long on this, but... but Put simply, God guarantees our life now, the life that Jesus promises, a full life. He promises that freedom from sin immediately. He promises a relationship with God immediately. But as important as that is, he also promises a life after this one. He promises a life where we are free from brokenness and the sin and the fallenness of this world. That's a, that's a hope that we, we hold on to, that we walk with in this life. It's a hope that we share with other people who don't yet know Jesus. That's, that's the guarantee that Paul was talking about when he was writing to the Ephesians. That's the guarantee that he puts on us. Sounds great, doesn't it? But we then come to another question, which is, if we're honest, do we believe God's good for it? Do, do we believe that that guarantee is worth the paper it's written on? That's, that's a question. We, some of us say, yeah. That's good. That's encouraging, isn't it? But let's ask the question. Let's explore it. Because... Let's imagine for a second, let's imagine you renew your car insurance and you get the letter through the post and you open it up and it's your uh, covering letter and, and policy documents. For those of us who've, who've bought car insurance, we're fairly used to that. And uh, the, the letter reads something along the lines of, welcome to cheapcarinsurance.com. Uh, we are the best car insurance company in the country. Really glad that you've joined us. Please find and close your policy documents. And you start reading the policy documents. On the front page, it says, you've bought fully comprehensive car insurance. Uh, except for exclusions, please see pages 2 to 310 enclosed. <laughs> And you look through and you see all of these, this fine print and your heart sinks and then you see the voluntary excess on your car, £10,000 per incident. 
How confident are you that that car insurance document is worth the paper it's written on? Probably not very confident. How about, how about if you're at work and you're working hard and you get an email round from the, the, the board of directors from the company with their annual report and they say to you, oh, our company is doing really, really well, we've got a great customer base, we've got an exciting future ahead of us, I want to thank you for all your hard work and dedication, we're going places, this is going really well. Oh, P.S., really sorry, but um, we don't have enough money in the bank to pay people's salaries this month. Oh dear. How about you, if you're at school and uh, you get a letter home from uh, the headmaster or the headmistress and they say, uh, we'd like to just thank parents and uh, students for all their hard work and dedication this year. We know you've just finished your exams and we've got high hopes for your future. Uh, we've done really, really well. Well done. You deserve a good rest. Oh, P.S., uh, we're really sorry. We seem to have misplaced uh, your exam papers, but don't worry, I'm sure they'll turn up. Our confidence in the guarantees that people make affects the way that we live. If we're not confident in our car insurance, are we going to go out and drive our car with it? Hopefully not. Probably not. If we're not confident that the company we're working for is secure or that they can pay our, our salaries, our, our, our living, how long are we going to stay there? How, how confident are we the company's going to be around in 12 months' time? You see, what we believe, the confidence we place in our belief affects how we live. If we don't have confidence in God the Holy Spirit as our guarantee, we will live like we don't have confidence in God the Holy Spirit as our guarantee. It will be reflected in our lifestyles. And as we've already ascertained, this life full of strife and hardship and difficulties... We, we need some guarantee. We need something we can put our confidence in. So let's look at the Holy Spirit. Let's, let's see what confidence we can put in Him. Who is He? Let's have a look at His credentials. Where do we first see the Holy Spirit? We first see Him right at the start of Scripture. Go right back to Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. What does it say? It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of the God was hovering over the water. Right at the start of creation, right at the genesis of this world, God the Holy Spirit is there. Where do you next see him? You next see him in chapter 2, verse 7 if you want to go and look it up, uh, where the story of God forming mankind out of the dust of the earth. He forms the man, and the Bible says that God breathed, the breath of God breathed life into the man. And, and in Scripture, the, the breath of God and the Spirit of, the God, the Spirit of God are, are interchangeable. So, so here we have God the Holy Spirit right at the start of our creation, existing before our world and will exist after our world. We see that he is not this God light. He is God in all his majesty and splendor and power. He is God who threw stars into space, spoke worlds into existence. He is God who was involved in the micro and the macro of our creation. He's the God that breathed life into us. Wow. 
That's the God we're talking about. That's the Holy Spirit. But how about this? Romans chapter 8, verse 10 and 11, it says, But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his Spirit who lives in you. The Holy Spirit was there when Jesus was raised from the dead. And we're told in Scripture that that same Spirit who has the power to raise Jesus from the dead lives in us. Wow. This is not just some little flickering flame that we've got living in us. This is an explosive power of God living in us. Something that darkness and death simply has nothing on. But how about this? We, we pray to God as Father. We call him Abba Father. Why is that? Well, Scripture tells us, it says in Romans 8, 14, 17, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his suffering in order that we also share in his glory. The reason we're able to consider ourselves children of God is because of the Holy Spirit. The reason we're able to pray, Father God, hear our prayers, is because of the Holy Spirit. The reason we can consider ourselves co-heirs with Christ is because of the Holy Spirit. And you know, I stopped, I stopped writing there, the criteria, because I realized I don't have enough years of life to tell you everything the Holy Spirit does. Pick up your Bibles. It's littered with all the things the Holy Spirit does. It goes on and on and on. The Holy Spirit counsels us, comforts us, guides us. We heard from Sue. We heard from Sarah about these subjects earlier in the series. He empowers us. He transforms us. He gives us gifts. He produces fruit in our lives. He testifies about Jesus through us. He prays on our behalf. And there's probably plenty more that we could go. If we're looking just at the credentials of the Holy Spirit, he more than qualifies as a guarantee in our lives. But there's one more that I, I plead with you this morning, really, if you take nothing else away from what I say, please, please take this away. This is something that I find incredible to read. Let me read this bit of scripture to you from 1 Corinthians 3, 16 to 17. It says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred, and you together are that temple. Just think about that for a second. God's Holy Spirit comes to live in you and live in me if you've given your life to Jesus. And he calls you his temple, and he says that he dwells in you. I don't know how much uh, you, you know about the history of the temple. I know we've gone over it on a number of occasions here in this church, but just to serve as a reminder, God's Spirit came to live amongst His people, Israel. 
And he, he told them to build for him a tent. This is not like some ordinary tent. This is like extreme glamping. This, this, this massive, luxurious, expensive tent full of gold and silver and bronze and the richness of the, the people of Israel. And it was designed for the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. It was designed for God's Holy Spirit to be living among them. And hey, what happened to people who messed with his holy temple? They died. And then later on, Solomon builds a a permanent building, an actual temple. This enormous expensive building where hundreds of tons of gold and hundreds of tons of silver go into the making of it, where so much bronze is used that the Bible says they couldn't count how much was used in the making of it. This building was designed for one purpose, to somehow, in a really poor reflection of heaven, create a house for God. And God's Holy Spirit came to live in that house. And he took his temple seriously, his holy place seriously. So seriously they had to put a curtain in front of the most holy of places. So seriously that people, if they went in there and, and, and were desecrated that place, their, life, their days of their life were, were numbered. And the Bible says the most amazing thing was yet to come that God said, I will no longer be in a physical temple. I will come and live in my people, and they will be my temple. And more than that, I will dwell in them. What does it mean to dwell somewhere? It's dwelling place. It means to commit to living there. It means to to purchase that property and say, I'm committed to putting my roots down here. I am not leaving again. This is my place. This is my home. What can, we, what can we liken it to? Imagine, let's take our dodgy car insurance example. Let's imagine instead of getting a dodgy car insurance policy, you get your letter through and you have a look at it and you open it up and it all seems in order. And then you're about to go out in your car and you, you, you get a knock on the door. And you open the door and standing there is the, the, the CEO of the, the car insurance company. And he says to you, um, we take our customer service really seriously. And, and to, to inspire confidence in you on your first day of your new policy, um, I am personally going to come and sit in the car with you. And we don't expect you to have any accident or incident on your way to work or wherever you're going, but, but let me reassure you that if anything happens, I will personally see to the arrangements. You will have no inconvenience. And you see my colleague over there in the car. That's your courtesy car. And he'll follow us wherever we go. So that if there's a problem, you can just get out of your car. You can go in that car. And you can carry on your way. And you say, James, that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. How absurd. Which senior manager in his right mind in a massive car insurance company, the highest authority there is, would come and spend personal time with one of his customers? How wastefully extravagant. Mm, Who in his right mind would do that? I want you to understand this morning... I want you to understand how significant it is 
that the Holy Spirit would come and live in each of us. I want you to see that the Holy Spirit's guarantee is legitimate, not just because of his words, but because he shows up. Because he says, I'm not just satisfied with sending my word. I'm not just satisfied with sending my representatives in this world. I'm not satisfied with leaving my children like that. I am going to come and personally be with them, the highest authority. I will come and guarantee their lives by being with them in the journey. It might be a rough ride, but I will guarantee that I will see them through over the finish line. And don't anyone mess with my temple, because you'll answer to me. That's what he says. That's the gravity of the situation with God the Holy Spirit coming to live within us. How can we respond to that? I'm really grateful that Richard gave us an opportunity to recommit our lives to Jesus. And for those of you who, uh, before this morning, or still don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, all I say is come and, come and talk to us. Come and talk to Richard. Come and talk to me. Talk to one of your friends who you're with at church. Anyone here. Come and talk to us. But for those of us who know Jesus, we come back to this same question. Is God good for it? Is God good for it? Is his guarantee legitimate? If we choose not to believe, if we choose not to put confidence in God the Holy Spirit, we won't take risks, but we'll crave safety. We won't worship God, but we'll worship comfort. And we won't see fruit, we'll see stagnation. But let's assume that we do want to trust God. Let's assume this morning that we are going to put our confidence in the Holy Spirit. What is our response? Well, first of all, if you know Jesus, and this morning you feel convicted that actually, if I look at my life... I look at what it says about my confidence in the Holy Spirit and I realize I haven't put confidence in the Holy Spirit. I haven't been living in that way. Then I encourage you as we move into a time of worship after, after this, take some time and repent. What does it mean to repent? It means to say sorry and make a commitment to change. Make a commitment to change direction. Spend time with God. There's nothing special about us at the front here and praying with us. We're, we're welcome, we welcome you if you want to pray with us and we'll pray with you about that. But you can just as well pray in your seat. You can pray with the person next to you. But say to God, look, I'm sorry. I haven't, I haven't been considering you as a guarantee in my life and I haven't been living in the confidence of that guarantee. I repent of that. I'm choosing today to change, to live differently. That's for one set of people. For those of you who know Jesus and are confident in the guarantee that you have in the Holy Spirit, I say this, ask the Holy Spirit what is the next leap of faith he wants you to take? What's the next step on your journey? What's the next thing that he wants you to do or say? Where does he want you to go? Where does he want you to be? One of the things that um, 
I've been challenged on by the Holy Spirit in the last few months is um, getting better at evangelism. I'm not that good at it, and um, I, I really want to be. I really want to be better at talking to people who don't know Jesus about Jesus, about what I believe. And uh, I was recently at a meeting in Oxford. Um, six or seven of my European counterparts were, were there as well. And at the end of the meeting, we were, we were going out for a meal. And I had you know, maybe three quarters of an hour before that in, in my hotel room. And I took the opportunity to ask God the Holy Spirit. I asked him for three things. I asked him for an opportunity to talk to those people. I asked him for the words to say, and I asked him for the courage to be able to say it. And, and I thought, great, that's, that's job done. Uh, and I, I don't know, I don't know whether you ever get this, but I had this picture in my mind of, like, automatically God would make me uh, the world's gift of evangelist, uh, evangelists. That I would enter the room and healings would happen and people would say, oh, lead me to Jesus. Anyway, we had the meal and at the end of the meal... Um, we were talking about various different things, and lo and behold, an opportunity came up. Um, they were talking about various different things like healings, and they were talking about um, uh, whether the world was just uh, some, some way of us just having to understand it through science and through logic. And I think I can probably summarize what I said in about two sentences. I said, they asked me what I thought, and I said, Oh, I, uh, uh, well, I, I don't struggle with the idea of healings because I believe in God. And um, I actually think life's more than just understanding science and things like that. I think it's about being in relationship with God. And that was it. And I, I came back from that, that experience thinking, God, that was rubbish. <laughs> I didn't tell him about Jesus, I didn't lead them to Jesus. There were no miraculous miracles. What's going on? That's embarrassing. That's terrible. I was, I was distraught at my performance. And then I felt God stop me and say, hang on. You prayed for an opportunity. I gave you an opportunity. You prayed for words to say. I gave you words to say. You prayed for the courage to say them, and you did say them. Now, it's not about your performance it's about trusting in me. So trust in me and worship me for what's happened. That was the response he led me to. I don't know what the next step is for you guys. I don't know what God's challenging you on. I'm not saying it's necessarily evangelism. It might be something entirely different. But I do know that if you ask him for that opportunity, when it comes, trust him. It's not about your performance. Trust him for what he does in you, and then worship him. Give him thanks for what he's done. I'm going to finish with a prayer at Ephesians, and the band wants to, to come up. I encourage you to respond in those two ways. I encourage you to come and receive prayer this morning. Richard will be at the front. I'll be at the front. You can come to the front and receive prayer. You don't have to. You can pray in your seats. You can pray with other people. You can worship. But I'd encourage you this morning to worship and be in awe of God the Holy Spirit and what he does in our lives. And I finish with a prayer that Paul prayed over the Ephesians. Uh, it's in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 16 to the end. So let's, let's bow our heads in prayer and then let's, let's worship. I pray 
that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen.